This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to present an interview that I did recently. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com. And on today's show, it's just going to be an interview that I did with Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher, the executive producers of two of my favorite shows on TV right now, Abbott Elementary and Harley Quinn. Wildly different shows. Uh, Abbott Elementary, of course, like a, a major network hits on ABC. And Harley Quinn is this R-rated animated show that is on HBO Max. It's in the, the DC universe. Um, two totally different types of things. But there is a through line that really runs through this work, which um, I think is is representative of the work that Halpern and, and Schumacher have done together previously. They've worked on a bunch of shows before. Um, there's a, a really great sense of humor. Obviously, both of these shows are, are comedies, but both shows really, you get the sense that the, the writer's really care about the characters, even the sort of tertiary ones on the sides. I love both of these shows. They're really terrific. It's really kind of mind-boggling that these two people are some of the creative forces behind this. Um, for Abbott Elementary, Quinta Brunson, who is uh, the lead of the show, is the creator of that series, but she sort of co-show runs Abbott Elementary with Halpern and Schumacher. And then for Harley Quinn, they ran the first, I believe it was the first two seasons with Dean Laurie and then took over as the, uh, I guess, co-showrunners just running the, that as a joint unit in season three. And then the upcoming season four, they're going to be passing the torch to writer-producer Sarah Peters, who has worked with them on, on a bunch of episodes of Harley Quinn before. So 
they are going to be putting more of their focus on Abbott Elementary going forward. But uh, we, right now, we catch them at this this really cool nexus point of um, their work sort of spilling over into both of these shows and being hugely involved. The uh, Harley Quinn uh, Valentine's Day special just came out not too long ago on HBO Max, and they, uh, I, I believe, co-wrote and directed that uh, special um, as we sort of prepare for that show to transition into its fourth season. So there's a lot to talk about here. This is a really lengthy conversation. I was, I was really happy to have this much time to chat with these guys about, uh, like I said, two of my favorite shows on TV. So we really get into a lot of the aspects that I'm personally interested in and hopefully uh, you all will find some interesting aspects of this as well. This entire conversation has been written up and published as an article on SlashFilm.com. It's been up on the site for several days now. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it would be a cool opportunity to get back into um, sharing some interviews on the, the podcast here. And I thought this was a really great one that sort of runs the gamut of, uh, of interest. So for the first half of this conversation, it's a lot of Abbott Elementary discussion. And then in the second half, we transition into the Harley Quinn stuff. So maybe if you watch one show and, and don't care about the other one or something like that, you can tune into that the portion that you uh, are, are particularly interested in. And then uh, I, the only other note that I'll say here is that uh, Justin Halpern is the first one to speak um, of these two. They don't identify themselves because uh, I just started recording. So with all of that said, let's just jump right into my conversation with Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher. What was it about Quinta Brunson that made you guys say, I need to sign up for whatever this genius is making? What was your sort of first impression of, of talking with her? Well, we had cast Quinta in a pilot like five years ago, a CW pilot. And, and it was, we were looking for this someone to play this role of like somebody, a Valley girl who like lives in, in, uh, in the San Bernardino Valley. who's a little like ditzy and Quinta came in and read and obviously does not give off that at all. She gives off the like complete opposite. And she like came in and it was kind of like, she like had just come from the gym and I think she'd gotten the call like 10 minutes before. And she came in and immediately he and I were like this fuck what we wrote. Like this person is like amazing. And we were like, we were like, oh my God, we discovered this new person. And then everybody under 30 was like, you didn't discover her. She's like really popular online. <laughs> um, and so I think from there, we just, that pilot didn't go, but she was amazing in it. And after that, we were like, hey, if there's anything you ever want to develop, because we knew she was also a writer performer, um, we were like, come see us. And she did. Awesome. Um, Randall Einhorn, who shot and directed some episodes of The Office, is an EP and director on Abbott, and that must be great to have him on your team. But at the same time, I'm curious if there are things from The Office that you're actively trying to avoid in your mockumentary approach on Abbott. Have you guys thought about that at all? I don't know that we've... I, I, there's definitely been, like, pitches in the room where, you know, someone will say, like, oh, actually, they did that on The Office. But there was, like, nothing specific, I think, about The Office that we're trying to avoid. Um, I mean, I I can talk a little bit more, but that might get into spoiler territory for like season three. So I probably should avoid that. Mm. Um, yeah, no, nothing specific. I mean, like there are several writers on staff of Abbott who have an encyclopedic knowledge of the office. And so usually they're the ones we rely on to say like, eh, this is uh, skirting a little bit too close to something that's already been done. Um, yeah, and, and like Randall obviously like has has was was like right there in the trenches for all of it, um, or almost all of it. 
Um, so yeah, we we have enough enough people in place that uh, Justin and I feel pretty comfortable about like not treading into too familiar territory. Yeah, I think one of the things, and this is a Randall thing, is that, and I, maybe they did do this on the office. I don't know, but when we were talking with Randall, when we were like looking for who to hire to direct the pilot, but also potentially be a PD. Um, Randall talked a lot about how making sure every character had their own relationship with the camera, you know? So like Gregory doesn't really like the cameras or the attention and Melissa's really skeptical of the cameras and Ava thinks she's in her own reality show. So she's like, you know, primping for the cameras and, and, so he really worked on that with the with the actors and, and Quinta and and, and, the and the camera operators who the camera operators on our show are so amazing. They find stuff all the time and they find jokes, they find looks, they they are so creative and so um, talented. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have relationships with with the cast members, you know, outside of, uh, you know, it's, it, it really is like a dance that, that Randall has choreographed. Um, and uh randall's brilliant man he 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 people see a mockumentary show and so they maybe don't immediately think oh the direction in this is something that's standout but like i guarantee you you put in almost any other person they're not gonna be able to do what randall does yeah and he's also brought in directors like randall specifically has brought in directors like Jen Salata, who was a writer on like I think every every season of The Office, maybe not the later seasons, but 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 all of the like super seminal um, uh, seasons of The Office, and um, Claire Scanlon, who I believe is an editor on The Office. So there's yeah, like the DNA of The Office, <laughs> like our, our our several of our our ACs were on The Office as well. Matt Sohn was the uh, who, who's guest directed was. Uh, the, the DP on the office after Randall uh, left to start directing stuff. So yeah, they're everywhere. I saw in a recent interview that you guys mentioned that Quinta talks about family matters all the time. I was curious if that is something that, um, like, do you guys use any aspect of that show as inspiration for anything when it comes to Abbott? Because I'm a big fan of that show as well. Well, Quinta will, Quinta, first off, no one is a bigger fan of television than Quinta Brunson. She is like the biggest fan of TV and you can see it. She like you can see it in Abbott. Like she loves she loves making TV. Um, I would say that's like a lot of times will be her point of reference. I mean, she can reference a million shows because she's watched everything. But she does like we will now as a joke we kind of bring it up and we'll be like, did this happen on Family Matters? <laughs> um, but she, I, during the pandemic, she did a rewatch of Family Matters, and she was like, do you know they go to space? And mm-hmm. in, in, uh, she's like, it gets fucking crazy in season six and seven. It's like a surrealist, uh, 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 like an adventure in those seasons. Um, but we will sometimes, with them, <laughs> so we do quite often reference uh, Urkel and Stefan Urkel um, and that dynamic, which within all of us, there are two Urkels. So. <laughs> of course. Um, tell me a little bit about the Ava character. Like, you guys are walking a really fine line in regards to her sexual harassment of Gregory. Is that a conversation you guys have had where like you try to figure out how much you can get away with there? Cause I feel like th- there's a lot of talk about that as being like a real issue. I mean, obviously it's, it is a real issue. And like, w- how do you guys handle that in the writer's room? Yeah. I mean, I think we do talk about it a lot and we started to sort of, we, we, we felt like, okay, she's someone who like, uh, 
abuses her power a bit in this relationship, in this dynamic early on, but it's a power thing more than it's a sexual thing. Like we always would say like if Gregory came on to her, she'd be like, I'm not interested, like get away from me um, because it's a power thing. But we also talked about it as like, we have to be careful because we, A, we don't want this character to cross a line that makes people feel really uncomfortable, but also like we want to grow the character. Like you, you probably can notice in the second season, we've done less of those jokes than mm-hmm. we've done in the first season. And then in the third season, I bet we will do very few of them, to be honest. Like, I bet we we will start to move away because as we grow the character, you grow them in other directions. And then suddenly you're like, oh, that's first season Ava. That's second season Ava. Like, we want these characters to evolve. Um, So that is something we talk about a lot. We talk about it actually a lot in the writer's room. And every time we make one of those sorts of jokes we have a discussion about it and like, we want to be conscious of what we're doing and why are we making the joke that we're making and what's the character thing behind it. So. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like Ava would be everybody's favorite character to write for. Is that true in your experience? Or is there like a, a sneak character that maybe we wouldn't expect that people were sort of like, you know, angling in the writer's room, like, Oh man, I, I want to take, take uh, control of this person for a minute. I think, honestly, I think we're really lucky in that we we have a, an amazing cast across the board, and and and, and no one has has really like glommed up. There's a couple of writers who've glommed on to Mr. Johnson. I think Mr. Johnson is kind of like the bane, uh, like as in the character bane of uh, of Abbott, and that you can kind of put anything in his mouth, and he uh, and it's just funny. And he's also like sort of the wild card, right? Like he's he, we've we've established that he's he's led this this very seasoned life and a, a very full life, a little bit of a Forrest Gump kind of thing happening here. Uh, so you can kind of put anything in his mouth. So I mean that that's just kind of funny for like free jokes and people gravitate towards that. But honestly, I think I think everybody is able to write for everybody on the show, I and mean, we we've, we've never quite uh, been so lucky on any of our prior projects. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the writer's room never lies, right? You can tell what actor isn't popping when you're in a show by who the writers start pitching stuff, who they leave out when they're pitching jokes for it. And it really is in this room, like people are pitching for everybody. Like there is no like real staff favorite because everybody turns a different kind of joke too. You know, like you can do the, these like alliteration jokes with Barbara because Cheryl's so funny at them. You can do these like really like jokes that veer into like land that's a little too dark with Melissa. And because Lisa is so gifted at turning a joke that's like probably too dark for network television, but then she she's able to make it work. Um, and and same thing with Janelle and Quinta and, and Chris, uh, you know, Chris as well. Like Chris takes little, little snubs better than anybody else you know that's working like he's so good at it and so they each have their like their sort of superpowers as actors that allow us as the writing staff to just kind of have free reign which is like your dream as a writer yeah and as an extension of that you can pair the characters up with whoever on the show like there isn't a bad pairing like oftentimes we will come up with story ideas just because we're like well who hasn't been paired up in an a story or a b story in a while. Oh, it's Melissa and Gregory. Okay, great. <laughs> and then you're off to the races. So that mm-hmm. again, like super lucky. Yeah, that's great. I, I really feel like the show is, has certainly found its stride and is really like cooking on all, or I was going to say cooking on all cylinders. That's not a phrase, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. working really well right now. I really love it. So, um, 
I'm always interested in the idea of paths not taken. So can you tell me about any ideas that you guys have had that you ended up altering or abandoning along the way? It can be big, like broad stroke stuff. You or know just what? Like originally, originally in the pilot, originally, we had gone down a road where Janine's character is the reason that the documentary crew is here. So Janine brings them in. And then when we we talking with Aaron Weinberg and Wendy Steinoff and Quinta and us, we're all kind of discussing it. We were that's it almost kind of helped us figure out Ava's character. It's like Ava, maybe Ava is the reason that they're that feels like because we didn't we didn't want it to be like, oh, let's talk a bunch about the documentary crew and make them a big part of the show. We didn't want to do that, but we, we did unlike the office, we did want to like say why they were there. Um, because it felt like important to us. And and so that 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 was a different path we decided to take when we did the the rewrite of the, yeah. the pilot. And the, the two uh, women that Justin referenced, Aaron Werenberg and Wendy Steinhoff, are ABC comedy executives who we've known for a really, really long time um, and who have been with the show since since the pilot. Um, the other thing, we, we keep trying to crack a, a like a Spirit Day episode that oh, we, haven't, we have not been able to crack. We had the desking episode in season one started as a spirit day episode just because we wanted like an episode that like showcases like some of our like like barbara's sort of theatrical background and that, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. so and, and, and for whatever reason like we 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 have not been able to crack that one yet in two seasons i'm sure at some point we'll, we'll and every time someone brings up spirit week everybody's like shut up stop get it away get it out of here we're not like we can't make it work we can't make it work like it's our kobayashi maru like no one and figure out how to make spirit week work as an episode um so every year it's like well we what about spirit week i was like shut the fuck up we're not doing spirit week. <laughs> well fingers crossed you guys pull that one off at some point i'm, I'm excited someday, <laughs> someday. um i'm guessing that you've probably had a lot of conversations with quinta and the writers about the will they won't they idea and trying to perfect exactly how to walk that line when it comes to the storytelling what what are those conversations like in the room obviously there's a ton of uh history and things that you could pull from in the past but like how do you guys approach that uh that dynamic yeah i mean i think like we so sorry Pat, are you gonna say something no i but i think that thing you were talking about earlier oh um, yeah i mean our, our philosophy is like we work from character arcs first so before we figure out how they're going to um interact with each other we try to we try to plot out the arc of the character itself. Like, where's Janine this season? What do we want to take Janine by the end of the season? And then once we figure that out, we go, okay, well then would Janine be in a place where she would be ready for a relationship or not ready for a relationship? Or how would she react if somebody said this to her? And then we're doing the same thing with Gregory and all the characters. We're saying, okay, what's Gregory's arc over the season? And we try to allow them, I know they're fictional characters, but we try to allow them to be like human beings that are on their own path. And then as writers, we can say, okay, are these paths now here or are they here? Because if they're here, great. We can play into that. If they're here, then maybe they're ready. Or maybe they never get here, you know? So um, it's kind of like when Quinta says, like, I don't know when they're going to get together or if they're going to get together, she's being honest. Like, mm -hmm. she, she really thinks about it with us, like, we in the writing staff. Like, we all sit down and talk about, like, those are probably our biggest kind of, medias conversations where people really get fired up and start like you know arguing for one way or the other in terms of the character we never talk about it as like when should they get together we only talk about it as like 
where's this character? Would that character be ready? Would I buy that? Because I think our nightmare is you're sitting at home and you see something happen on our show and you go, well, that wasn't earned. They would never have done that, mm-hmm. right? That's like we're betraying the trust of the audience, right? We're saying like a good TV show is like somebody else is driving the car and you can just sit and relax, right? You know, there's good hands on the wheel. And then as soon as you feel that first bump or they swerve, then you're like, fuck, do I got to pay attention? Do I have to, do I have to, do I trust this person who's driving the car? Um, And so we never want that to happen, right? We want you to just sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. Um, And so that's why we talk so much about whether or not we've earned whatever we're doing. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. And also realizing that that sort of like Goldilocks, uh, you know, storyline with like, you're you're never going to quite satisfy everybody, right? Like audiences are going to be, you know, if they get together, maybe it's too soon, maybe it's too late. Uh, If they don't get together, then, you know, it's, you're never going to please everybody else. And so I think we're, we've done enough television uh, we're, we're we're content knowing that that you know we're not going to be able to please a hundred percent of the audience, but uh, whatever feels like the most truthful for us is is good enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll use this as a bridge into Harley Quinn territory. But one of the things that you guys have said about that show is that Harley and Ivy will never break up, and I'm curious. A, what prompted you to draw that line in the sand? Because that's you didn't have to say that. And then B, does your position about Harley and Ivy's staying power also extend to Janine and Gregory, assuming that they might actually get together one day? Um, I think, you know, for us, for Harley, it was like these two characters have been through a lot and they've never really like got a chance to be in healthy and a relationship with someone who loved them unconditionally. Um, and so we just felt like, you know what, like so much of Harley's history has been this like contentious relationship with the Joker. It's toxic, it's abusive. And all of, and a lot of the drama was in how he treated her. Right. And how she was good, how she existed within the context of, of that relationship. And so we just kind of decided like, you know what, they're, it's more interesting to us to see a relationship that is healthy, but, but goes through the same struggles that everybody else goes through. That feels like more fertile ground that hasn't been sort of tapped into with Harley than the, will they, won't they, they break up, they come back together. Like we've seen that shit. We've seen it with Harley, obviously it'd be different because it'd be Ivy, but like, now let's see these two people who like are genuinely committed to making it work at all of the sort of like struggles that come. It's hard. Like it's hard to make any relationship work when you're just like a writer married to, you know, whatever. But these are two like super villains. It's like, so there's plenty of stuff to play with. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I echo everything that Justin said. And then on top of that, I think for me, it's, I, I just find them more interesting together. I want them to be happy. And I also, it's it's really important to to everyone who works on the show to portray a queer relationship as a happy one. Mm-hmm. Um, I that that's so important. Yes, yeah. maybe more than anything. Um, and yeah, so that so that's why I can I can honestly say that as long as we are in charge of the show, you know, which knock on wood will be for the duration of the show <laughs> that we will have like the final say with this sort of thing. Um, they will they will never break up. But we also tried to put, we basically also, um, I mean, we didn't try to do this, but I feel like now at this point, we put it in a poison pill that like, 
even if we were removed from the show, we've made this promise to the audience. So they probably have to keep doing it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in, in regards to the Janine and and Gregory aspect of that, like, it sounds like what you guys are saying is this is very much like your approach for Harley and Ivy specifically, but also I've, I've heard little comments throughout this conversation of like, you guys not wanting necessarily to repeat the same things that, that maybe audiences fully expect. And like, the the sort of tropes and histories and things like that 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 have been established for so many years you don't necessarily want to just do your version of that a hundred percent so like uh and again I'm, I'm i apologize for speaking in in uh terms of, of things that may or may not happen or haven't happened yet but like the idea of those two characters getting together um does the the same or a similar draw does that have a similar draw for you guys like that idea of like okay they're together let's see what fertile story ground results from them staying together for a long time rather than that same splitting and coming back together type of deal that we've seen a bunch of times in other sitcoms i think a lot of you know i think a lot of what happens in writers rooms on tv shows is what is getting the writer writers excited Right. Like what what's making them because like, you know, as you start making several episodes of a show and you start to get in the second and the third and the fourth season, like in order to make those seasons, the writers have to get excited about something, you know. And so I think right now at Abbott, we're really excited about what we're writing right now. Like there are no there's no shortage of stories being pitched. And and, you know, I think Quinta is masterful at understanding audiences and the push and pull of audiences. So I always sort of end in this place of like, I trust her that, that if she feels like now is the time, then we'll build to it. Then, then that will be the right time. And if she's like, no, it's not the right time or it shouldn't happen for this reason, or it should happen this way. Mm -hmm. um, Then I, I believe it to be so. I mean, there's been tons of times where like, you know, we, we always said from day one when we were working with her and breaking the pilot and doing all this stuff, I said, Pat, Pat and I are always going to give you our opinion. And we may argue our opinion very, uh, um, you know, passionately. But at the end of the day, we're trying to give you the best inf- info that you can have to make a decision because we want to tr- we, we trust you and we want you to be able to have this, this show to be your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's worked really well for us. You know, and that's and and a good thing about her is like she will hear it out and she'll and if if she hears an idea, idea that's better than her idea, she'll go with that idea. She doesn't care. She does not. It's best idea wins. There's no like it's got to be mine, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how we's all, we've always operated. And that's how we operate with Janine and Gregory stuff is like we're constantly checking in with her we're talking to her about it. She's talking to us, you know, and she, if she has an idea, she'll fire it off sometimes in the middle of the night and send it to one of us, you know? Um, uh, and, and so I think for those two characters, it's like, I feel like if they, if they get together, it'll be at the right time. If they don't get together, it'll be for the a reason that I think the audience will find really satisfying. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of what we put our trust in. What's so special about hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. So I watched the Harley Valentine's Day special and really loved it. And I was curious, it was bittersweet for you guys, if there was something bittersweet about making that, given that it's sort of your last big swing as the the showrunners. Did you guys feel that at all or, or was that not on your mind? I don't think it really hit us at that point. I think it was just sweet. <laughs> like, yeah. We were so, I mean, we, we wrote it um, along with Dean Laurie. Uh, D- Dean was running a Disney Plus show called Big Shots. Uh, with John Stamos and Justin and I were running with Quinta uh, season one of Abbott. And so we just had a lot on our plate, but we still were like, it's very important to us that that the three of us get to write this. Dean ran the first two seasons with us and and, and the three of us really wanted to do this. And we knew it was going to be a double episode. And so we the, the, the process of writing it was a little bit um, frenetic and a little bit disorganized because we just by nature of like, you know, us being focused, kind of on our, our respective, you know, projects. And then, and, 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 and we sort of, um, you know, outline stuff remotely and Frankenstein and outline together. And then we're kind of shocked that it was relatively coherent. And then, uh, you know, we read the first draft and we each took two acts and, 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 and just, yeah, again, Frank, just a series of Frankensteins after Frankensteins. And then, yeah, we were just like, Okay, I guess like working like three seasons on the show, we we have the voice down. This everything feels right. Everything feels like like that good sweet spot in Harley of like unfeel like like grounded emotion and a really freaking absurd, uh, you know, kind of splashy moments writ large for this special. Pun intended, I guess. But uh, uh, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that, that process was very kind of harried and, and disorganized, but, but we're, yeah, we're really pleased with how it turned out. I have to say that I love the specificity of the jokes in this show. What kind of conversations do you guys have about just how specific you want to be with the comedy here? Cause there are a lot of references where I feel like, and I guess that's one of the best things about it is it just feels like, oh man, this was made just for me. And like that feeling is so great, but I'm sure obviously a bunch of other people have that feeling too, but how do you guys sort of zero in on the specificity of those jokes? So somebody was said this to me, uh, and it, I think it was like a soulless executive said it to me, but it made a lot of sense, which is like, they were like, they described their streamer as like, we don't want to make a bunch of pretty good shows. We want to make people's favorite show. And, and I was like, oh, that's what we're trying to do with Harley. Like, we're not trying to make a show that appeals to everyone. We're trying to make Patrick's favorite show, my favorite show, Dean's favorite show, you know. Um, and so the specificity, I think, is is just like that Harley special is our sense of humor. <laughs> you know, it's exactly us. And we're saying, I hope you also find our sense of humor funny. Um, and the specificity of the jokes, I think for us, we've always said, like, this was in our pitch of Harley was like the funniest thing to us is thinking about all the stuff that happens in the scenes that aren't in the movies. Right. Like the in-between like, all right. Yeah. There was this big battle, but like, where did he go to eat right before that battle? Mm -hmm. That to me, like Bane waiting in line for a smoothie, like, you know, like what are all these little things? And then also like, uh, then when you start thinking about that, like there's this whole run about Bane liking the later seasons of The Office. And, and, that, and that was just because we see Bane as like a guy who's like, you know, 
fancies himself like a comedy nerd, but isn't himself funny. So he's never quite sure what people like and what people don't like. And and you know, we just try to think we try to make all of our references character based. Like we try to never just be like, hey, here's a reference for references sake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Abbott is not that reference heavy. Right. Um, but Harley's very reference heavy. And that's because like we feel like our characters in that world, the whole point of the show is they're sitting and watching TV, they're sitting and eating, like they're just bullshitting. And that's what you talk about when you're bullshitting, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a little different. Are there any examples of, of jokes that were pitched that were determined either by you guys uh, internally or by the writer's room, just the uh, democracy type of process of determined to be too niche for what you're trying to do? But we that we've done the most niche jokes ever. The thing about the. Oh, my God. The the um, yeah. Clayface makes a makes a joke about. How how Binkley was it? It was like it was it was like a a, a, a Tony nominated like production designer. He's gonna miss the Tonys and he's DVRing them. And like then it got back to that guy apparently, and I mean he was very appreciative, but we never referenced it in a cartoon. Um, but yeah, like that one actually made it in. I don't know. Like sometimes it's just like more like it, we have an overabundance of the real world references I and mean, we've gotten drafts back that were like you know very uh, heavy on the like uh reality programming on like a and e and it was like okay like let's we gotta we gotta just like take it back a little bit but but yeah no i think i think for the most part uh, there's no hard and fast rule no sure. on this show as opposed to like other shows we've done we love the what we call the one percenters it's like a joke that only one percent of the audience is going to get um because I don't know, there's so many jokes in Harley. Like it's packed full of jokes that if one of them misses, you're going to get another one that's coming in like eight seconds. So yeah. <laughs> um, we're not as like precious about like, is everybody going to get this joke? Um, yeah, there's like a joke that I love so much in Connor Shin's episode in season two where Two-Face is, he's he's giving this menacing speech to Commissioner Gordon and he starts rolling into a Sum 41 song, the lyrics of a Sum 41 song, but not singing it. And then he realizes, he's like, I'm sorry, I was singing Sum 41 on the way over. And I was like, first when I read that joke, I was like, why why would why would Clayface, why would Two-Face be listening to this? And, and then Connor was like, well, he's about 40. And like, that's when he was probably listening to you. Like whatever you're listening to when you're like 21, 22 just becomes the, the music of your, the soundtrack of your life. And I was like, I'm sold. Put that joke in there. <laughs> oh man, that's great. <laughs> um, how do you decide when you want to showcase how the events of the show affect the people of Gotham or when to just say, you know what? Bane is humping a building, but let's not think about all the people living in the apartments where his giant penis comes flying through the window and the building gets destroyed. That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is driven by what can we achieve on our budget. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think we probably wanted to see more of the um, people screaming and running, but it's just more assets, you know, more... Um, crowd animation which is real hit or miss um because what we one of the things that we learned uh taking you know uh running an animated show hardly being our first was that you know the, the the sort of production pipeline uh and this type of show it's it's done uh, we send to our, our overseas partner studios and literally the artists over there who are doing like the in-betweens 
um, they, they are getting, it, you get paid the same as an artist doing a close up of a face, like with an eyeball widening, um, or uh, as you do a, a shot of a hundred people like running from like a stampeding bull. Uh, so it's kind of diminishing returns often with those crowd shots. So I, I would say we, we, we went for the kitchen sink and then we, we, you know, we ended up presenting what we were able to afford. <laughs> so it's mostly just a, a pragmatic function, but yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, we would love if there's ever a Harley theatrical, you know, release, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll go for broke in that area. But yeah, it's mostly a function of what we can achieve budget-wise. And I think we treat the humanity in the show in, in the same way that the villains do. If it's like a if it's a person the villains would care about, then we as like producers and writers try to put some actual like dramatic tension on that life or death. Mm -hmm. But if it's somebody that they wouldn't care about, then we treat it the same way they would. You mentioned a, a theatrical thing. Is that a conversation you guys have actually had, or is that just no. uh, this guy? No. Okay. Oh, that's just me fantasizing. Okay. <laughs> um, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've seen Harley Quinn's take on Ra's al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul. The, I guess there's some debate about how you pronounce that character's name. Is that a character that looms large for you guys and you're just trying to figure out the best way to incorporate him? Or is or is that just happenstance that we haven't seen him yet? And I guess that could apply to a lot of the rogues gallery figures that we haven't seen yet. Um, yeah, without giving away any spoilers, um, you know, season four, um, will deal with, um, a, some Roz adjacent, uh, material. Okay. I'll leave it at that. I would say we, we, we use them. It, it's never like, if there's somebody we want to use, we use them, mm -hmm. you know? Like we, it, we just try to figure out the right way to use them. The show has never been about like, who's the big name superhero we can put into it or supervillain we can put into it. Like that's never been what we've been interested in. We like the like D-list people yeah. <laughs> in the show. Kite Man being a great example of that. So yeah, I mean, it, we, we generally like, we, we have, you know, we talk about each season, um, what we're going to do and who we'd like to see. We definitely have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode involving Bruce Wayne's parents was especially fantastic because the the Thomas and Martha death scene has been done so many times. But you guys really found like the one way to make it genuinely impactful. So what do you remember about putting that episode together? That well, first off, the script was written by Jameson Vorak, um, who put everything into that script. That was a really, really tough one to write. And when we were breaking it, he did a fantastic job. I think when we were breaking it, we had said early in the season actually we had been saying since I think the first season, we should just do an episode where we kill Bruce Wayne's parents a million fucking times because it's just been done, but we could never really, as with any Harley episode, we don't want to do it if it doesn't have any sort of like emotional component to it. Cause otherwise it's just like, you just become like the silly show. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so when we were figuring out all the pieces of season three and how it was all going to build, we knew we, we wanted Bruce to be the villain, which hadn't been done before, Batman being the villain of an entire DC comic season. Um, but then we were like, okay, we can't just make him the villain and not explain why. <laughs> um, and so that's what that episode became. It was like, all right, if we're going to do this, then we need to get into this guy's head. And it's like, he can't ever get past this fucking thing. 
mm-hmm. you know, and ends this thing being his parents murdered in front of him. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think that that's what I remember. Yeah, and we also wanted an episode that was going to set up, you know, at the end of season three is Harley um, getting an invitation and accepting the invitation to the Bat family. Um, and so we needed an episode that could demonstrate that she was a trustworthy uh, individual as far as uh, Bruce is concerned. And you know, because of her doctor-patient confidentiality, you know, despite knowing Batman's identity, she's not going to share that. Because uh, she still, you know, plays by the, the, you know, her oath that she's taken, um, and 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 so that was an another another important component that we wanted to put in there. And, and Jameson's uh, the writer of the episode, um, has spoken about this in in other interviews. But he ended up being able to incorporate a lot of um, the, the stuff that he experiences in, in his own uh, therapy um, that felt really i think real and helped ground um the the, these scenes that take place inside of bruce wayne's mind Mm -hmm. um, that could be so absurd and so yeah that that much like the the um the valentine special it's like i I find that that episode uh uh, batman begins forever is the title of that episode i i find that that show hits that kind of sweet spot nexus of like absurd and really grounded um, emotion. It shows also that episode has my favorite joke run of the entire series, which is them in uh, Ivy and Harley and Clayface and Doctor Psycho and Crime Alley debating the difference between Joe Cool, Joe Camel, and Joe Chill, only to then be interrupted by the murder of Bruce. <laughs> They're hung up on this little detail. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much to Justin and Patrick for the great conversation and for allowing this audio to be played uh, as a podcast. Um, you can find more about Abbott Elementary and Harley Quinn at SlashFilm.com. I will link to the written version of this article in the show notes if you want to check that out, if you want to send it to your friends or something who, who watch the show. I'd really appreciate that. would love people to read that article. And uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to peter at SlashFilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.